Let's join together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that your word would speak to us personally as individuals through the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would learn those lessons that you have for each one of us as individuals. Recognizing that as we look at different passages of scripture this morning, Lord, that you will have different messages for each one of us. Not that your word speaks differently or contradictory or opposite messages, Lord, but that you will draw certain things out because you are working with each one of us in particular areas to accomplish certain things at the present time. We ask you to do this, Lord, because we know and we rejoice and glory in the fact that you know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you for your power at work among us this morning. Lord, I pray that my words would be fitting and faithful in keeping with your word because your word has power and your word alone is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past several weeks, as we have been examining the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and especially throughout the last two weeks during which we have looked at the Fourth Commandment, four rhymes with door, And what do you think of when you think of door? Church. And so that's a reminder that the fourth commandment says... Okay. Let's back up here. One rhymes with... Run. Thou shalt have no... Finish the sentence. Other gods are before me. Other gods before me. And you think of someone running ahead of you. Two rhymes with... Zoo. And you think of the animals in the zoo, and so you were reminded. I should I think Neil's reading it behind me. You all better get going here. <coughs> I shall not make any graven images, nor bow down to them, nor worship them. Three rhymes with right. Very good. Three. And when the tree falls on your foot, this is a reminder. Right? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, <clears throat> I think this is sort of sinking in because this past, this past Wednesday, um, we went and did some cutting up of wood for Harriet Dodd and and we were doing various and sundry things. By the time I got there, that was all done because uh, there wasn't a whole lot to cut up and whatever. But uh, the men during that time when things went wrong would say to me, Oh, three tree, Nathan, three tree. <laughs> <coughs> and four, of course, rhymes with door. And it's a reminder. <clears throat> Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And there's more to it than that. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor you, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Particularly during the last three weeks as we have been looking at the fourth commandment, <clears throat> discussion has been going on regarding this commandment and in the previous weeks regarding the others. Among the people in the church and among families. Now, this has been something that has been a great source of help for many, this discussion that goes on. Because you don't get, oftentimes, a lot of opportunity to react during the sermon. 
But this discussion time following the message and talking about it, what does it mean, how does it apply, has been a great source of help for many and an encouragement to me and I trust to you also. Because through this we have learned something about one another. The thing that we've learned about one another is this. The people we gather together with on Sundays to worship the Lord truly desire to serve the Lord and to respond to the message that He brings into their lives from Scripture. That's the only reason to discuss these things. If they are unimportant and insignificant, they're not worth discussing. But if they need to apply to our lives, then discussion is highly appropriate, desirable, and even necessary in order to start fleshing out some of the practical aspects. Often as we come... And to the Word of God, it speaks unpleasant words to us. Words which confront us with sin and our own unrighteousness. Pointing out to you and to me as individuals our own failings and things we do not want to hear. And often at the same time when we approach Scripture, we find encouraging, stimulating, stirring, and invigorating words. Messages that lift us up to the heights of heaven so that we feel like we are soaring as on the wings of an eagle because we realize that we are speaking about and communicating with the God of the universe who has cared enough about you and me and many others as individuals to give us his word and to give us his son so that we can interact with him personally. As we've looked at the fourth commandment and as I've been preparing to address the fifth, Ah, five? Well, we'll have to wait. <laughs> Got a funny look here on the front. We'll have to wait until we get to the fifth commandment to figure out what five rhymes with. I've had several questions concerning what is worship? What is worship? We talked about the fact that the Sabbath is a day that is to be set aside as holy. And part of what this whole day is supposed to be about is worship. What is it? How do we do it? Do we do it just on Sundays? Do we do it at other times as well? <clears throat> so today I'd like to stall before moving on to the fifth commandment and look at worship in the context of the Sabbath. As we understand the practical details of, we, of how we are to honor the Sabbath, and as I have particularly emphasized the fact that we are supposed to emphasize the positive aspects of honoring the Sabbath, even as we look at the negatives, which are things that we're not to do, we're also supposed to say, what are you supposed to do? Worship comes up as a key element. What we are to do on the Sabbath. We must first realize that worship is an act of the people of God joined together as the body of Christ as we and churches throughout the world join together on the Christian Sabbath, which is Sunday. More than that, it is an act, worship is an act that should be practiced in the home by individuals and by families. Understand that. Worship is not just something that happens here. By virtue of the fact that you are here this morning, you understand that this is worship. It is also to be something that happens in your homes, in my home. Whether we are individuals in our homes, couples in our homes, or families in our homes with children. <clears throat> it's not to be left just for one day of the week, one to two hours per week on Sunday, but also practiced at other times on Sunday and throughout the week. In days gone by, this practice was common. And what the believers called it when they practiced worship in their homes was 
used by different names or different phrases. Oftentimes you can see it expressed as in um, one century, two century old writings as family altar or even up to the present family devotions. Such a time does not only have benefit for family unity and spiritual maturity, it also, if you have children, has benefit for training children what to expect, how to participate in worship on Sunday with the body of Christ in church. Now, you and I are aware of this fact, but sometimes it helps to remind us of things we're aware of. I'm frequently accused of making a lot of assumptions of what people know. And so I try sometimes to state the obvious because I'm oftentimes guilty of assuming the obvious. You cannot expect a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four-year-old, perhaps a five-year-old or a six-year-old. We don't know how high it goes. You cannot expect a child to participate in an acceptable and not a disruptive way in a worship service. It doesn't come naturally. (laughs) We all know this, but it helps to state the obvious. The way in which to expect that it happens is if the child is being trained in the home. What is worship? How can you participate in worship? What is acceptable in worship? What is borderline? What is unacceptable? And if children are taught what is acceptable in the home, then they are able to gather together in the worship service in the church among the believers and do those things that are acceptable because they already know the rules. One of the things that that happened to us this past summer, which was a revelation, was when, uh, when, when Cassie and Sarah came to us, there would be oftentimes when things would go funny with regard to the, to the older one. She'd be in situations and she'd do something just off the wall. And we'd be, don't you understand? This is off the wall. You don't do this kind of thing in, in this kind of situation. And then as time went on, what we realized was she would be glad to do what was not off the wall if she knew. She was delighted to do what pleased people, but she didn't know what the rules were. And so as, as you started explaining the rules, then the, the, the behavior got to be a little bit less off the wall, more normal, more what you want. And so that's what our purpose is if we have children in our homes, <clears throat> to teach them what are the ground rules, what is acceptable, what is pleasing to God. In considering that, The priority of the home is a place where we ourselves are trained for worship and where we train other family members and children. We also realize that the worship service where we gather together as Christians is also preparation because this isn't the extent of worship. This is the beginning of that time when we will be worshiping for eternity, which is in heaven. We are practicing here to make perfect there. As we examine this then, let us look at the priority and the goals of worship. There's no higher aim than worship, because it is honoring the king. You think of the subjects of the crown, for instance, in Great Britain, or in other colonies, or other countries where they have a king or a queen. Imagine the expectancy and the joy and the excitement when a subject of the crown in whatever country is asked, invited, 
to an audience with the monarch. There's a joy there. There's amazement that there is the opportunity to be invited into this atmosphere where the king or the queen is going to be. You are the one who has been invited. And that this monarch thought you were worthy to be invited for whatever reason. There's not only that sense of expectancy, but there is also a little bit of trepidation. What do I do in this sort of circumstance? I cannot imagine anybody who had any sense in their minds going into an audience with a king or queen of the country without combing books, sources, anything they could get their hands on in order to find out what is appropriate. How do you bow or curtsy? What do you say? What is the title? All of these things are things that all of a sudden have to be things that you learn if you were invited into an audience such as that. And so we realize the priority and goals of worship that we are involved in something of which there can be nothing greater because we are honoring the king of the universe. As we gather together and are involved in worship, we need to realize that the goal of worship, part one of the goals of worship, is to remember God's gifts. What was the command given the Israelites regarding the Sabbath day? What? The Sabbath day. Remember. Use the mind. Remember the Sabbath day. What was the command given the Israelites? This is going to have a a great similarity in all these questions. What was the command given the Israelites regarding the Passover? They were to what? Remember the Passover. What was the command that the Lord made regarding the celebration of communion? The first Sunday of every month. Next Sunday, I'll read this passage from 1 Corinthians 11, quoting Jesus, in which he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. What is it? In remembrance of me. It comes up over and over and over again, doesn't it? God knows as well as we know. He knows better than we know. That unless we are warned and encouraged and given the occasions and the means to refresh our memories, we will forget in no time whatsoever. And remembrance is the greatest key to gratitude. And so as we are a part of worship, we need to remember that a priority of worship is remembering. Keeping these things fresh in our mind. God's gifts. Remember God's gifts. How are you able to be grateful to someone? People talk about different days and different ages and speak about the rise of ingratitude. Maybe the problem is people just have short memories. Gratitude is based upon remembrance of good gifts. Here's a short list of the significant gifts from the Lord that we need to remember. We need to remember His creation. It's around us all the time. But we need to remind ourselves that He is the one who is responsible for this creation. And it it is indeed a magnificent gift. 
We're in an area of the country where it's hard not to recognize the beauty and wonder of creation. There are many other areas, inner city areas, where it would be perhaps more difficult to bring this to mind. But maybe just by virtue of the fact that we are in this area and exposed to it on a daily basis, we can forget. I still remember going with my sister and uh, a bunch of students from her inner city alternative school in Chicago on a whitewater rafting, or excuse me, whitewater canoeing. There's a big difference. (laughs) One gets broken and the other one doesn't. (laughs) On a whitewater canoeing trip in Wisconsin. And we got out there and the fellow in my canoe, man, he was a greenhorn. He did not know anything. And one of the things that brought this to my mind was the fact that he was petrified at night. Petrified at night. Why? He was from inner city Chicago. Never ever seen it dark before. Outside. No place. Darkness. Always street lights. Lights from homes. The glow from Chicago is enough to to read by. And so this impressed him. We need to remember the greatness of God's gift of creation. We also need to remember his salvation, which is our hope. To remind ourselves of it. One way in which we can do this is by confession of our sins. (coughs) Reminding ourselves that that God has been gracious enough to make something possible for us that we could never possibly have done for ourselves. Another gift from the Lord is heaven, which is our future. We need to remember heaven. Because it is able to give us joy in the midst of circumstances here in this earth which are less than optimal. We need to remember as well our unworthiness. Everything that goes on in worship should not only be to thank God, but also to think about His glory. Run through our minds the way in which God is a great God. How should we prepare for worship? Preparation for worship, you'll see on the back of your bulletins that there's a short scripture verse printed there. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. God desires people coming to worship Him to come with glad and joyful hearts. This does not mean that He expects people to forget the difficulties in their lives. (coughs) That He desires for people to pretend as if those difficulties didn't exist. There's a difference between happiness and joyfulness. Sometimes the two join together. But you can be unhappy about things and still have joy because you know that there is a future and that there is heaven waiting in your future. We need to come into His presence. We need to prepare to come into His presence by having glad and joyful hearts. When I woke up this morning, I did not have a glad and a joyful heart. And I don't know what it was. Some, some Sundays more, fortunately, I'm glad to say, most Sunday mornings aren't like that. But some Sunday mornings when I wake up in the morning, I don't, you, you know, you, you just say, I wish I could figure what I, out what it was and get rid of it. Because I don't want to wake up of all mornings on Sunday morning like this. And so when you wake up like that, in preparing for worship, realizing that God desires people to enter His presence with a glad and joyful heart, because they are honoring the King, 
you have some work to do. You have to think about the God that you were gathered together to worship. You have to remember His gifts. You have to focus on who He is, His glory, and the joy that there is in being together with His people. Because it requires preparation to have a glad and joyful heart many times. Many times in the personal circumstances that you or I or others will have, having a glad and joyful heart is perhaps the most difficult aspect of worship. There are perhaps complaints, concerns, criticisms, fears, worries, plans that need to be made, all kinds of things weighing in on the mind, and they conspire against gladness and joyfulness in the presence of the king. It requires removal of distraction in preparing for worship. It said of Bernard of Clairvaux that when he came to the church doors, he said in his mind, stay here, all my earthly thoughts. When we are thinking of other things, we easily lose track of what is important. Those things that we are thinking of easily distract us from those things that have higher priority. The tyranny of the urgent. Not the tyranny of the important. The tyranny of the urgent is the expression. Those things that are on our minds and our hearts right now are the things which easily capture our attention and hold them hostage so that we are not able to think of what is important. When, for instance, we let our eyes and our minds wander, we cannot give the attention that is due to the king. There have been times when I have done this and times when others have done it to me. Have you ever had an experience when you've been on a, having a telephone conversation? And for whatever reason, you were doing something. For me, sometimes it's glancing at a paper or working on the computer or one of these other things. And someone calls up and you say, well, I can do two things at once. <coughs> well, a lot of us can do two things at once. <clears throat> I guess at uh, King College this past week, they were trying to get the students to see if they could what? <coughs> pat their head and rub their belly at the same time. Can you do it? The question is, can you do it and then turn it around and do it the other way? Well, the whole point of the thing, now, now turn it around and do it the other way. Now, that's the trick. Okay, now, right. See, the point of the thing is this. Everybody can do it. But nobody can do it well. Nobody can do it well. And so, for instance, when you or I are talking on the phone or talking to a person, we very quickly become aware of when we have lost the attention of that individual. We know when that individual has lost our attention or is only getting half of it. And how do you feel when you're in a conversation like that? When someone does that to me, it's like, well, time to hang up. You know, am I not worth enough? You know, we don't talk all that often or whatever. Am I not worth enough just to give me your whole attention during this time? So that's what I feel if if I've got a telephone call and someone's doing that to me. And that's what I remember, try to remember, when someone is talking to me. I want their full attention when I'm talking to them. They deserve my full attention when they're talking to me. And so we need to remember that. Can you imagine anybody who entering the presence of a monarch, a king or a queen, would have brought, for instance, a Game Boy along and say, Hello, Your Honor. Oh, just a minute here. (laughs) Okay, now I can talk. 
that's just a humorous example. I'm majoring on humorous examples this morning, you can tell. But <clears throat> the point being, we are dealing with a king, and he deserves our undivided attention. And he wants our undivided attention. Make no mistake about it. <clears throat> Worship requires, therefore, an alert and a fresh mind. Drowsiness, for instance, is something that makes worship impossible. <clears throat> so, therefore, since drowsiness makes worship impossible, it is incumbent upon the pastor to deliver an attractive and an inspiring sermon. Since being later in the service, it's always natural that people's attention tends to uh, fall away somewhat at that point. But, however, I would point out, if that becomes ineffective... He must either lower his voice so that people strain to listen, or raise his voice and <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Worship is serious business. <clears throat> it is something that deserves our preparation. <clears throat> Sometimes drowsiness has physical health causes that are unavoidable. But oftentimes we can do something about that to see that God gets our attention. An alert mind, an alert body. <clears throat> Preparation is also required because God desires us to enter his presence to worship him with a clean heart. In other words, he wants us coming into his presence with penitence and true repentance. <clears throat> We're told in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are to prepare for communion, even as I mentioned in the announcements. By a self-examination, Psalm 24, verse 3 says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. This means that you and I must examine our hearts in the light of God's word to root out sin and crucify rebellion and to turn from sin towards righteousness and forgiveness by confessing our sins to the Lord and truly desiring to turn away from them. <clears throat> we move to the parts of worship, what is involved. We remember that everything in worship is focused on honoring God, remembering his gifts, and considering his glory. Now, many of the things that I mention as parts of worship are things that we do in our worship services, services more or less frequently. Some of these things are things that perhaps we don't do and should do. <clears throat> I don't have these things in any specific order. But there's a passage in Philippians 2, verse 5, that is called the kenosis passage. <clears throat> verse 5 and following, it says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Now, this passage goes on through verse 11. What this passage is, is a New Testament creed. The creeds are to be something that should be part of our worship. The New Testament church practiced the creeds. This is a creed. The people knew this. It's called the kenosis passage because it speaks of Christ emptying himself. And that's what kenos means in Greek, empty. Why the creeds? whether they are scriptural creeds or other creeds, to refresh our memory. Those things that we hear rarely, we don't remember. Those things that we reiterate and state again and again and again, 
we remember with a greater degree of accuracy. <clears throat> Why else? To affirm what we hold in common. It is too easy when we gather together with other believers to focus on those things that divide us, those little differences, and to neglect the fact that creeds are something that are given to us in Scripture and in various creeds such as the Apostles' Creed that state those fundamentals of the faith, those things that divide Christian believers from those we call cults. <coughs> and so as we gather together and we, as we make creeds a part of our worship, what happens is we are saying to one another, these are the essentials. It is crucial that we agree on these. But when it comes to other things, we can disagree and yet still call one another's brothers and sisters in Christ. Why else? Because creeds summarize what the Bible teaches in short and succinct form. <clears throat> the Schaefers shared with us that they have been teaching church leaders in the Czech and Slovak Republic for the last 12 years or so. They've been teaching them through various courses, including theological courses. <clears throat> there are many people in Christian churches where we do not have the prohibitions of teaching the Bible that they have had in years past in Czechoslovakia, <clears throat> who would not know the things that the Schaefers have been teaching those in the Czech and Slovak republics. However, if individuals in the churches have learned a creed Memorize scripture passages, a creed, for instance, such as the Apostles' Creed, or a creed, for instance, as this Philippians 2, 5 through 11 passage, the Kenosis passage. They do know the fundamentals of the faith. So this is another purpose for which the church has made reciting the creeds a practice over the centuries from the New Testament until today. <clears throat> Sandy and I are seeking to teach Cassie and Sarah the fundamentals of our faith. <clears throat> Not only through Bible reading, but also through the Catechism for Young Children, an introduction to the Shorter Catechism for Children. We ask them questions, and if they know the answers, they give us the answers. If they don't, we read the answers over and over and over again until they know them by rote. <clears throat> if you're interested in making this a part of your family devotion and worship, please see me, and I'll see that we'll get you a copy. And I would point out, you will delight Sarah no end if you ask her, how many gods are there? <laughs> she will be excited. Ask her that after the service. She loves that question. And as a matter of fact, if you tell her to ask someone a question, she'll say, how many gods are there? <laughs> she gets great glee out of that. <clears throat> or what are the names of the three persons of God? And Cassie, who wrote the Bible? Or what does every, every sin deserve? Music is to be a part of worship. It has various purposes. It should be used to give God praise for his attributes, honoring him, for instance, by the words that we sing. It should be used to join together with other believers in melody and harmony. Again, the purpose of uniting people. It should be used to lift our hearts to the throne, which is a special gift of music. And touching our emotions and raising us with joy or oftentimes with sorrow. It should be used to express appreciation in the act of making music as well as in the words. Steve, why do you lead music? 
Okay. But Okay, do you like doing it? <laughs> if I told you to go out and pound rocks, would you? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll think about that. <laughs> okay, to unify the people and because you enjoy it, is, are you ex- do you feel that you're expressing an uh, attitude to God in it? Okay. So something that we do in order to give God praise and God glory. And it's also something that we do to give beauty back to the creator of beauty. Music is a beautiful thing. And those who play it and those who participate in listening to it realize that this is giving back to God in the same way in which we give in an offering a portion of what he has given to us. I'm going to conclude here. Um, Let me conclude by saying that we need to be thinking about how we worship. We don't only need to be thinking about how we worship when we gather together in the church. We need to be thinking about it, even as the commandment tells us, remember the Sabbath requires preparation. In order to worship God in a faithful way, it requires preparation of our hearts and of our bodies, our souls. We need to prepare for it. We need also to make worship something that happens more than just once a week. Consider these things, and I'll also make available the written copy of this for those who want to look further. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is full of life. We thank you for this opportunity to praise and honor and worship you. We ask that all that we do this morning might have been found pleasing in your sight. Teach us how to worship you so that we might be fit for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.